Well, it's great to be here together on Good Friday and to be celebrating, thank you Rob, the life that we have through Christ together. Isn't that exciting? I want to ask you as we start um, today, just looking around the, the, the a particular passage from Luke's Gospel that talks about the cross of Christ, I want to just ask you as we start, have you got a favorite place in the world? I suspect we've got different ones, but do you have a favorite place? Under the apple tree in Val's garden. Is that anybody else's favorite place? (laughs) No? Okay, it's just you, Val, on that one. Okay, anybody else? Got a favorite place? The garden tomb in Jerusalem. You've been. Wonderful. Anybody else identify with that? That's their favorite place? (laughs) Dave's shed. Dave, as someone who's been to your garden, which one? <laughs> the big one, okay. Last time I went, Dave had multiple sheds for different tasks. One more, anybody else's favorite place? Your bedroom, I hope somebody might say something like that. That's brilliant, thank you. Okay, so we've been on holiday in a few different places. This was a few years ago. This is one of Judith's favorite places. This is down in Dorset, um, overlooking Durdle Door, is it? Is that right? I took the photo, I should remember, shouldn't I? But there we go. So that's um, out on a walk one day. Uh, lovely time down there we had with the sound of bombing and shelling in the background. Because uh, when you stay in Lulworth Cove, which we did, there's an army base nearby and there's firing all the time. So, so you're there in this tranquil countryside. Boom! You know, it's great fun. Um, one of mine, this is on Holy Island. And uh, this is there's a church and then an old uh, monastery or friar in overlooking the sea. At the back, and we stayed there. And the first night we were there, um, we could, were looking out from our house that we were staying in at the sea, and it was wonderful, just tranquil, apart from this kennels that was over the other side of the the banks, because it was kind of a bit of strip of water and this barking. Until we discovered that it wasn't a kennels; it was actually seals, and they were swimming and, and landing on the sand, and just kind of their their barking noise was what we could hear. And then you got the binoculars out, and you could see them. And uh, later on, we saw them really close. So amazing holiday, but a great time. And very peaceful place, spiritual place, where people have prayed there for years. Uh, lovely time. Um, another picture. Um, I've made it small, and I've covered over my boy's eyes with black, so you can't see who it is. Because um, they're looking quite cute, because obviously for data protection purposes these days, you have to <laughs> block these things out. Um, this is at Bambra. Now, this is one of our favorite... The boys w- used to say this is one of their favorite holidays. And uh, this is midsummer, Northumberland. Fabulous beaches. <coughs> Just absolutely gorgeous. You can see how warm it is because I've got my coat on. Um, and uh, there's a reason why we're stood in line. It's not just because it makes a beautiful photo, but if, you could, if I'd taken the black box off their eyes, you could see the boys wincing because they stood in front of me because the wind on this particular day is so strong that it's picking up the sand and flinging it along the beach so hard that the back of the boys' legs is kind of burning and they're, they're, they're crying whilst happy. So this is kind of pain on the back of the legs but enjoying themselves for the photo. We lost a ball that day because Judith thought it'd be a fabulous idea to buy one of those kind of light, light plastic floaty balls and one kick and we just watched it go down the beach. <laughs> Never to be seen again. I think it's making its way down the East Coast. Lots of places you could choose uh, that you've been to around the country and around the world, I'm sure. 
Um, but the place we're talking about today probably isn't going to be anybody's favorite place. Because we're talking about the place of the skull, Golgotha, Calvary, different names for the same thing. Um, and uh, it's, it's an uncomfortable place. It's a great setting for Good Friday, but it's no one's favorite place to visit, I don't think. And I want to read a few verses from, from Scripture, from Luke's Gospel. It, it says this. This is after Jesus has been sentenced and he's going out uh, with a cross and uh, Simon of Cyrene is carrying it behind him. It says this, two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. When they came to the place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they, what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by fr- throwing dice. The crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. They, he saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he's really God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you'll be with me in paradise. What I want to see today is how Jesus transforms this place, this place of pain, into a place of grace. And how Jesus is still doing that today. It's a really simple message. Um, but I want to see that the massive transformation Jesus brings to a crowd and then to a single person. This, this place of the skull, it, when you look around for the location, it's debated as to where the location actually is. There's two most probable sites and people argue about which one's which and whether it, was it there and was it there. Uh, and, but both of them are in the northeast corner of ancient Jerusalem. And uh, that's where people suspect that this place of the skull was. Wherever it actually was, it's a place of crucifixion, a place of death and destruction, inhospitable. This is not a place you'd go for a family holiday and a snapshot. Some people might, but we wouldn't. It's not the kind of place you'd go for a romantic walk after a nice meal. Come on, darling, let's just go to the place of the skull. You wouldn't do it, would you? It's got a ring about it. You know, you know when people are being crucified there routinely that this is not a place you'd visit for fun. It's a place of pain and death. But today we're going to see how it becomes a place of grace and love. And Jesus is walking there and he's followed by the crowd. And none of the Gospels go into detail about the crucifixion. We talk about that, about where the nails went. And we talk about the kind of wood and, and the shape of the cross. And we talk about the pain and the punishment and and all of that that the criminals would have borne. But the gospel writers don't. Maybe it's out of reverence for Christ. Maybe it's because the the cross was so familiar. Crucifixion was so familiar to people in those days. They, They knew what it was code for. And just saying he was crucified or he was nailed to the cross was enough. Because they knew what it meant. Basically, every generation invents different ways to punish people. And new ways of inflicting pain. And this was the Romans' best shot at it. They were pretty good at most things. 
We're still using their road system, and their, their road surfacing was possibly better than KCC's, but you never know. Um, but but they're, they're pretty good at most things. Um, but this was their method of killing people and punishing them. And this is what Jesus is going through. But Jesus makes that awful place a place of grace. Firstly, I want us to see how his grace, the, the grace that forgives a crowd. And I read out a passage, and, and in it, we noticed, I don't know if you noticed, but it says several different actions that people are doing. It says, it's the crowd watched. Now, now the crowd who were there knew what they were going to get. They would have seen crucifixions before. Most of them, I suspect. They would have certainly heard about them. It, it was the, the East Enders of the day, I guess, where you'd go and watch something kind of, and, and talk about it at work afterwards. And they, they went to see what was going on. Out of curiosity, maybe for entertainment, the gruesome thought is that maybe there were some children there who were being taken to their first crucifixion. Come and watch. Never seen one before. My mates at school have. Dad, can I go and see? Everybody else is talking about them. And the crowd have gone to watch. And what they see is Jesus placed between two others and crucified. And while the crowd are watching, the leaders, it says, scoffed. doesn't mean they ate lots of dinner. It means they mocked him. He saved others, they say. Let him save himself if he's really God's Messiah, God's chosen one. This for them at this moment is the ultimate proof that Jesus can't be the Messiah. How can he be? Because the Jewish Messiah cannot suffer and cannot die in this way. So therefore, if Jesus is suffering and dying, he can't be the Messiah. They're triumphant. You see, we were right all along and he was wrong. We've been proven Right. Little did they know at this moment that three days later he would rise. They're thinking that life can get back to normal and that life will never be the same again. Thirdly, we see the soldiers who are mocking him too, offering him sour wine, making fun of him. This for them is a, just another day at work. They'd go home, they might talk to the family, some of them, some might not, about the events of the day. I can imagine some some of the guys just going home, nice day, it's okay, and keeping quiet about it. Some may have had troubled minds and struggled to get to sleep and, and been traumatized by what they'd seen. I'd imagine the Romans paid extra if you're on crucifixion duty, particularly for the ones where they were struggling and didn't want to be pinned down. And they were fighting and you're having to hold people down to crucify them. But for them, it was just another day. We find them at the foot of the cross, having dividing up his clothes and then there's one garment they can't divide so they're casting lots for it or throwing dice who's going to get it well if you roll a six twice you can have it and all that's going on all around jesus has a sign pinned above his head normally that would portray the crime a criminal was getting crucified for and here it just says king of the jews perhaps it's a tribute perhaps it's another form of mockery and then the last insult, the criminal on one side of Jesus starts mocking too. Well, both of them start mocking, but one particularly carries on. And he carries on with his mocking and he calls out to Jesus. And in all of this scene, in all of this chaos, in all that's going on, Jesus is there on the cross. And, and I read this again and again in preparation for today and, and asked myself, who's missing? From the story, not many of Jesus' friends are there. There's a few at the foot of the cross, but most have run away. 
Most have abandoned him. And Jesus, at key points in his ministry, hears the voice of the Father, and heaven at this moment is silent. God is not speaking at this moment. Jesus is there on the cross, seemingly by himself, while the taunts and people watching and the mocking and the abuse comes his way. And then in the midst, in the midst of that, we hear these words, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. That's amazing, isn't it? Jesus extends grace to those who are killing him. In fact, he says those words before the mocking starts, not after. I wonder if actually the mocking is provoked by him saying those words. Because there's nothing like a rebellion that rises up when you offer someone forgiveness. When God offers people forgiveness and they slap him back in the face and say, how dare you? How dare you tell me I need your forgiveness? And our pride does that to us, doesn't it? It tells us, I've lived a good life. I don't need God. I don't need Jesus to die for me. I'm good enough. I've been kind and good. That's enough. And we push away our sin and we we justify ourselves and we say, I'm okay. How dare you offer me forgiveness? Have you ever had somebody offer you forgiveness when you didn't think you needed it? It's a funny feeling. Have you ever had that? When someone comes up and says, I just want to let you know that I forgive you for this. And you you scratch your head and you think, well, it looks all right to me. It's an odd feeling. And maybe the people in the crowd and the soldiers and the guy on one side of Jesus were provoked particularly by Jesus' offer of forgiveness. But here we see the beauty of grace in amidst the ugliness of sin. I also wondered if people were upset because Jesus didn't get his words right. Now, I'm not much good in plays. We, we put some great performances on here. Rosemary writes a wonderful script and the kids do a great job. I'm, I'm rubbish in a play. Because I forget my cue or I forget my line or I forget something. I was once in a secondary school play. I had no lines. All I had to do was go on and sing a, sing a song with a whole crowd of people. And I missed my cue. So they were all on stage and I was so nervous I'd gone for an extra wee. And I came back up under this, under this kind of school because the stage was built up and you had to go underneath it and through some tunnels and kind of came up. Oh dear. They're all on stage. So I had to wait for a, the right moment to kind of shuffle on and join the crowd and start singing. It was very embarrassing. I got it right the next night. But you see, Jesus, as one of the criminals being crucified in everybody else's eyes, was meant to say, may my death atone for my sins. May my death atone for my sins. That's the cry you're meant to offer when you're crucified. But of course, Jesus had no sin. And his death wasn't atoning for his sin. It was atoning for mine and for yours and for everybody else's, whether they feel like they need it or not. He got his lines wrong or right, depending on which side you sit. But I want to look quickly again today as we marvel again at the grace of God, as we listen to Jesus cry, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. I want us to see also that Jesus offers grace and he transforms that place of pain to being a place of grace that rescues a man, and we read this wonderful phrase. 
that's on your screen, when he's re- replying to the guy on the other side, I assure you today you'll be with me in paradise. This is the second part of this story, the second phrase we're, we're looking at today that Jesus utters. And in, in other Gospels, we, we don't read that there's a kind of repentance from a man on, on one side of him. We just read that the, the criminals are crying out and mocking. But Luke goes into a bit more detail and he says, well, they, they start off mocking. That seems to be what's happening. And then the guy who's on this side of Jesus begins to notice something. He begins to see something. He begins to respond. And he responds in a different way. And we see with Jesus' treatment of this criminal on the cross that the grace that Jesus offers is bigger than whatever crime you've committed. The man on this side of Jesus had committed a crime that would have been above his head, written out for people to see, probably deserved to die, according to Roman law. And Jesus' grace extends beyond his crime. When the man says to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, and he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. There's no sense that this man didn't know what he was doing. For the crowd, Jesus could say, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing, but this guy knew what he was doing, and he committed it willingly and did it Perhaps gladly, we don't, we don't know. But Jesus still says to him, you'll be with me in paradise. There's no sin too big for Jesus. Jesus' grace is also bigger than rejection. And there may have been times in your life that you're still hurting because you rejected Christ at some point. There's a phase of your life when you turned your back on God and you You've come back to him since, or you're on your way back, and you're still grieving because of that. But this guy on the cross rejected Jesus too. He was part of the crowd mocking. And Jesus still says to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. Finally, we see that that grace comes in response to revelation. There's two guys either side of Jesus, one on his right, one on his left. One stays unrepentant. And to him, Jesus doesn't say the words, today you'll be with me in paradise. But to the other, he does. Simply because the guy says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. If you're not yet following Jesus, that's not a bad prayer to pray. Jesus, remember me. It's a sign of humility. It's a starting point to say, I need you. Please come into my life and give me a new start. It's said that the cross, like the one we've got on the wall, demonstrates God's holiness in the vertical piece, connecting God and man. And it displays the span of God's grace and love as it stretches out across the whole of the world. Today, as we've looked at this brief story, I want us to do three quick things. Number one, and we'll begin with R just to help us. Reflect. Reflect on the grace that Jesus has offered you. I hope you've received it. And I hope you're so grateful and you're reflecting today on the grace that Jesus has offered. Lizzie told me as I came in that today is the day she became a Christian. It was a few years ago. But on this date, she became a Christian. 1954, she became a Christian. Is that wonderful? Some of you will have read about 1954. It was a good year 
because Lizzie became a Christian that, that year. But reflect on what Jesus has done. Secondly, receive. It may be that you need to receive again afresh the grace of God, either for the first time or for a multiple time. But there may be something, and you're saying, I did it willingly. I ended up in a situation I didn't know what I was doing. I ended up in a mess. But today, see again that Jesus is offering grace to you and mercy and forgiveness. And be thankful. Thirdly, respond. Had the man on his left lived, if crucifixion was just a bit of a beating up and he'd carried on living, Jesus would have expected him to go and tell of what he'd seen and what had happened. He'd he'd have expected him to go and be a witness, to go and take something of that grace of God to continue to pour it out to others. And I just want to challenge us as, as I close with this thought. That sometimes those of us who've received God's grace can be the least good at offering it to others. It's as if we think that there's a limited supply. And maybe God will run out. And if we offer grace to others, God won't have enough to cover us. So, so we hold it back from other people and we keep it to ourselves. That's never the case. God's plan is that we offer grace and continue offering grace. And we walk into difficult places and dark places. And we go to unpleasant places and hostile places. And places like Golgotha, Calvary, the place of the cross. And we go to resistant people and rebellious people and stuck people. Where there's no signs of life and no hope. And yet we offer grace. I think that's what God's calling us to do today. To reflect, to receive, and to respond. You never know. Some, even just one, may respond and may say, either what must I do to be saved, or, Lord, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Let's pray, shall we? Lord Jesus, on this day, we're mindful of so many things. But most of all, we're mindful of your grace demonstrated. That means that we cannot, though we cannot earn favor with you, though we cannot make ourselves right with you, you put things right for us. You make us whole. You offer us salvation. And Lord, I pray that we would be able to reflect on what you've done and receive it and respond by offering grace to others in the same way that you have to us. Lord, may we see people's lives changed as we again and again daringly go to places that maybe scare us, to people who we don't know what to say to them, but again and again offer your love and offer your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.